by the word of God. And we thank God that we're in a church that believes uh, in God's word and its impact upon our lives. So uh, tonight we're going to uh, finish our three-part series on fasting for change. We took a bit of a risk on this because it's probably a subject that you'd normally perhaps talk about in a midweek group or some midweek teaching. And uh, uh, it sounds, uh, how, how could we make that sort of inspirational and passionate and on fire on a Sunday? But we felt in terms of uh, where God was just taking us in this season at Arena Church that we needed to share it on a Sunday. And uh, that's what we've sought to do. And we're into week three, the concluding week. If you've got a Bible tonight, whether you have got a, a paper print or you access it electronically, maybe you'll go to uh, some verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verses 3 to 4. I'm going to read these verses and then I'm going to sort of uh, go into the message and then I'm going to sort of come back to them uh, towards the end of the message just to bring some thoughts from it. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 4. And uh, it's the Apostle Paul writing to the church. It's thought by Bible commentators, he actually wrote four letters. And two of them found themselves into the inspired print of the word. And 2 Corinthians is often underread. Many of us know 1 Corinthians about the gifts of the Spirit and chapter 13 about love and chapter 15 about the resurrection. But I encourage you when you get opportunity to read 2 Corinthians uh, because Paul really opens his heart in terms of ministry and leading and impacting the church. And here he speaks and says in verse 3, For though we live in the world, and so do we, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are the weapons uh, are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Or as an older translation says, the weapons of our warfare are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. I want you just to hold that because we've been seeking in this year of strengthening to also encourage us uh, from June 9 to 29 to enter into an engagement with strengthening a spiritual discipline that is often neglected in the church of Jesus Christ and it's that of fasting. Where we deny ourselves a, a natural appetite of eating for a greater cause of pressing into the heart of God. And we've got Terry and Jill with us tonight and one of Terry's phrases that Terry, we often use since you've ministered in the church is leaning into God. And this enables us to lean further and more into the heart of God. Two weeks ago, Christian talked about the call to fasting. And uh, he spoke from 2 Corinthians 20 about Jehoshaphat, often uh, a chapter that's used to encourage praise. But there, hidden away in the first few verses, is a call also to fast. They got a direction from God that was... That was uh, communicated them to, to them prophetically as to how they would take on the alliance of the enemy tribe that stood against them. And God gave them a mighty victory. He also talked about Nehemiah, which I'll come back to a little later. But Nehemiah, who was away in exile, uh, the king's cupbearer, he got a, a very, very responsible job. Everything was great. But he heard news via his brother and friends that the walls of his home city were in disrepair, which in those days was symbolic of the disfavor of God. And something stirred within him. <clears throat> he mourned, he wept, he prayed, and he fasted. And he became a great leader that brought a turnaround for the glory of God in Jesus' name. Last week, we took the words of Jesus, Matthew 6, verses 6 to 18, and talked about the components of fasting. Uh, to use cliches, we tried to cover the bases. We tried to land the call that Christian had called us to. 
uh, we tried to uh, speak to people. I was even speaking to someone this morning. Let me say it again tonight. We're not asking anybody to compromise their health challenges through the season of fasting. And, uh, and I said that with a three-line wit last week. Um, and I'll say it again. We talked about the definition of fasting. We talked about the dangers of not doing it for the right reasons. Because Jesus is not only bothered about what we do, but why we do it. He always talks about motive. We talked about the, the directions of fasting. And there's numbers of ways. There's full fast. There's protracted fast. There's, there's limited fast. They're all there in the scriptures. And we talked about the, the determines of fasting. What begins to happen? What begins to flow in terms of shifts and moves in the spiritual realm when we engage in fasting? And this week, in the time that we have available, I want to talk in the third session about the challenge for fasting. Why are we doing what we're doing? And of course, the temptation is that I try and speak two messages and then roll into the third one, particularly if you've perhaps missed the previous messages. And I say it with humility tonight, but if it helps you, please go to the Arena website and listen to the podcast of the last two weeks, and they will just help you in terms of leading into this evening. But let me just give you a few comments thus far in terms of this season of speaking about fasting for change. We were reminded by Christian that there are not many books written on the subject of fasting. In fact, very few compare, for instance, with the subject of love. We're reminded from a quote by Arthur Wallace, one of the lead, founder leaders now in heaven of the house church movement, that if we are to recover apostolic power, we must also recover apostolic practice, of which fasting is something. We were reminded that Jesus makes an assumption regarding fasting in, Mark, in Matthew 6. He didn't say, if you fast, he says, when? He was speaking to kingdom believers like you and I. We were reminded of a definition from that great Bible teacher, John Bevere, that fasting occurs when we abstain for the purpose of seeking to press in, into God in a more focused manner. We're reminded that the bedfellow of fasting is prayer, and I'll come back to that a little later. We also reminded ourselves that Christian brought a public pronouncement that must be privately navigated. So it's out there. We're going to be talking about it, but we're not going to be watching over people. There's not going to be the secret police of Arena Church ringing you in the dead of night saying, how's it going there? Because we saw your family coming out of McDonald's tonight. There's going to be none of that. You've got to work it through. It will be different things to different people. And I think I tried to make that pretty clear last week. We talked about intensity coupled with normality. So there is a sense where it's an intense time of connecting with God. But life has to go on also. Please don't ring your boss up and say, I'm going to have three weeks off. That Christian thought says, we've got to fast at our church. I don't feel well enough to come to work. I'll see you on the 30th of June. You know what's going to happen, don't you? You'll be looking for another job on July the 1st. We've got to carry on with life. We understand we've got guys in the church, particularly in manual labor. And you've got to work all that through. And I suggest that if you get times within that 21-day period where you can specifically and perhaps with priority pray, they ought to be also your short fasting times. But work it through. And look at the notes and, and also the brochure that we've given you because it will help you. We reminded ourselves 
in Matthew's 18, that where two or three agree in my name, it shall be done. The word agree there in the original language is symphonia. From where we get our word symphony. And the thing about this, friends, is, 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 is not to put anything on us, but to call us in togetherness to engage with what God wants to do. One of the translations of symphony is a harmony of sounds. And what I love about church, friends, is it's not that we're all the same. We've got different temperaments. We've got different backgrounds. We've got different journeys. We've got different spiritual walks. We've got different likes in, in the world, in tastes of music, tastes of clothes, whatever. A great sort of kaleidoscope of difference. But when it comes together in agreement, a harmony of sound, I tell you, that sort of church attracts the attention of heaven. And sadly, they're less on the ground than God would like. And the enemy forever contests for the power of agreement. And in our brochure on fasting, there's a 10-point collective that will give you direction in terms of praying into the great issues of the day. Which brings us back to the challenge. So why do it? Why get all sort of steamed up about this? Three weeks? Why? Well, number one, because we need to draw closer to God. The Bible says in James that if we'll draw near to him, he will draw near to us. We need to do it, friends, because of specific personal needs that are be reflected, both reflected in you and those close to you. And we come again to God to ask that God will meet needs in Jesus' name. And we come because the challenge of the hour is great. To use one of Christian's phrases, the stakes are high. And they're very high. And we will only, friends, break through in all of this by understanding that we have to engage the spiritual weapons. See, when we talk about carnality at times, we think, oh yeah, it's that Christian. Uh, I'm not talking about this Christian, I'm talking about that Christian, C Christian. That Christian out there, they're worldly, you know, they're not really committed. Well, it's more than that. Carnality, friends, is when we're trying to do the things of God in earthly ways. It doesn't work. It's when we're trying to win the battle with debate and discussion and argument. It doesn't work. We win it, friends, in the heavenlies. We win it with the weapons that God has given to us. And we're not talking tonight, we don't have time to look at all the weapons that God has put at our disposal. But one of the weapons in the context of the verses I've read and the subject that we're speaking to is that whole context of fasting alongside prayer that breaks something open for the glory of God and for the praise of his name. I want you to understand that the stakes are high. On Thursday afternoon, I had the joy of being in a small leaders forum of about 30 people at Parliament Street Methodist Church down there in downtown Nottingham. We're reminded it was about a mile from where William Booth was born, the founder of the Salvation Army. And over the last 30 years, the Maranatha community that were the leaders of that forum that day, bringing together some men and women from across the area, shared something of their hearts. Over those last 30 years, with forensic and painstaking media observance, they've sought to gather facts and data that reflect the spiritual needs of our nation. I understand that the danger of these types of things is they can be doom-laden. They can press your head so far down in your shoulders that you think you're never going to come back up again. But the passion of that day was to present the facts, but then also call us as church leaders 
to go back out, to be out there, Christian, as you've mentioned two or three times today, and share hope. 20 years ago, they shared a document called Sound the Alarm that was printed in se- with seven and a half million copies. Many of those going way beyond the church constituency. And here we are 20 years later producing another document calling the struggle for the soul of our nation. It was a challenging afternoon. If I can use it perhaps in inverted commas, it was disturbing, it was uncomfortable. But I want to tell you, friends, the stakes are great. And we need to be people in these days that press into what God wants to do. Let me just share one or two things that spilled out of that afternoon. And these things that I'm saying have been so looked at that they, they reference back to the data that they've come from. They're not just sort of things that have been lazily picked off the social media network. The cost of family breakdown in 2013 in the UK was estimated at being £46 billion. There are £1 billion per year spent on 5,000 children that are in children's homes in our nation at the cost of £200,000 for each child. The neediest children in our nation. In 2012, 1.2 million women across the United Kingdom suffered domestic abuse. I want to say, friends, today that from the public platform, again, I say it again, that we champion the cause of women in Arena Church. This week, globally, has been a horrible week for the way that women have been treated in the earth. We think of the case of the lady in Sudan, Marion. And uh, I think many people were frustrated. It took to the end of this week for it to get into the national media. And thank God for organizations like Christian Solidarity Worldwide that have been working tirelessly uh, to, to get this case to sort of come to the fore. This lady had to give birth just in the last few days while still shackled and has been, had the sentence of death sitting over her simply because she's a Christian. She's never been of any other religion. And yet that threat has sat over her. And uh, on Friday, thank God, the Times ran a front page piece and again ran it again yesterday morning. And by yesterday afternoon, Prime Minister Cameron was all over the telly saying how bad it was. I say it respectfully, friends. It was just a shame he wasn't saying it two weeks ago. And, uh, and, uh, so, but, and then we hear about what took place in India and in Pakistan. We've got still 200 girls enslaved in uh, northern Nigeria by uh, Boko Haram. And uh, the, the, the authorities are so fearful of that group. They say, well, we now know where they are, but we didn't go in and get them. And uh, across the world, friends, women treated in disrespectful ways. I say it carefully, but on the doorstep of this church tonight... There'll be women treated in ways that are inappropriate. And we need you to know, ladies, whatever your age, that God's got a great heart for you. If some of you have gone through situations in the past that you shouldn't have had to go through, then you need to run to the loving heart of God because his arms are wide open to restore you and to mend your ways and to bring healing to your life. That is the heart of the church of Jesus Christ. On the web, friends, there are over 9,500 Pages that are given over to images of child abuse. I can't finish this particular reference because we're in a public place tonight. And the total personal debt in our nation at this present time stands at 1.43 trillion pounds. Difficult. If, you, if a million six figures, then add another six and you're probably getting there. And the fact is we've got great needs. 22nd of May, the Chad, that was a week last Wednesday, ran their front page piece here, this, this local paper here. The Mansfield Chad, the Ashfield Chad, ran the piece that 40% of people that live in the Ashfield area are concerned because they have financial worries. 
And in the last four years, Citizens Advice in Ashfield has dealt with people in handling £34 million worth of debt. I say all these things because perhaps your head's going down into your shoulders like mine was. But for us to understand that the church needs to arise. The church has got something to say. The church is the place where the many varied colours of God's wisdom begin to pour forward, friends. And authorities all around us are increasingly turning to people that are in connection with God saying, what do you think we ought to do? There are many factors for this. But I want to say in verse 5 of the reading of tonight, it says these words. uh, Or or rather, yeah, verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And if ever there is a day, friends, when our culture globally is seeking to raise up arguments and pretensions that set themselves against the knowledge of God, this is it. So, for instance, atheism that dismisses any notion of God. And maybe you've come across people in your work experience more and more saying, don't talk to me about that Christianity, I'm an atheist. Seems to come out of people's mouths quicker than it used to. What about the rejection of absolutes, relativism? Do you know, friends, there are people at work in our nation that would seek to stop Christian leaders and ministers standing in public places like I am doing tonight and saying that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life because they would deny us any opportunity to say those words. I want to say by God's grace we're going to keep saying it because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me. And then what about the projection of self, humanism, individualism? Where people are determining that they don't want to do things or have things. 200,000 babies were aborted last year. And increasingly, friends, it's taking place because of gender issues. Oh, we didn't want a boy. Let's get rid of it. And of course, at the other end of the spectrum, we've got increasingly people in the celebrity world that are out there saying when they're going to determine when they want to die. And we're on a slippery path. Because the Bible says our times are in his hands. And we need to be careful. I say all that because Thursday and this evening is not a call to condemn. But for us to arise and bring hope. To sit and listen. To have those moments where we will worship the Lord. Waiting here for you. And then we will run to action. And implement the heart of the Lord in a needy world. Mother Teresa says, if you pray without serving, you pray in vain. But if you serve without praying, you serve in vain. It's not either or, but it's both. And as I was thinking about the message on Friday morning, friends, I just wanted to affirm the journey of Arena Church Mansfield. I spoke some words into our context in Ilkinston this morning. I spoke some words of a Christian. But I want to just affirm tonight... That we're on a journey here also. I understand that in some people's minds you say we ought to be doing more. We did ought to be doing more. And there's so much more to do. But you need to realize this is still a pioneer situation. And that there's been a lot of ground turned over over the last three and a half years. The foundation, friends, has been established. And everything's determined by the foundation. If there's no foundation, when the winds come, guess what? The building's going to topple over. 
And there's a firm, deep foundation being laid in arena that prepares us for all that God has got going forward. But here's what I want to prophesy to Mansfield Arena tonight. Because I believe, friends, with all my heart that God is at work. And I believe that he wants to set people up to do great things in Jesus' name. And I believe that God's going to pour something out in an amazing way. And I'm prophesying tonight an emergence of people in Arena Church Mansfield that will respond, that will be joined to the body, that will pick up the burden and bear it in grace that God gives to them. They may be here and they may be coming, but I believe that something's going to spark in people's hearts that's going to take us further into what God's going to do. Don't just sit there because you may be the very person that God wants to use to be the answer to the situation. In Acts chapter 4, it says, all the believers... We're of one heart and mind. There's that oneness again. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection, laying it in week after week. And God's grace, or great grace, was at work within them all. There was no needy persons. For from that time, those that owned land and sold it and brought the money and the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to all those that were in need. It's a picture, friends, of a togetherness of heart, a knitting together, a responding to leads that brings about a solution to the problems of people's hearts. Don't get frustrated. We know we've got a long way to go. We know there's much ground to take. We know there's so much to spill out from this church service on a Sunday evening. But it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I believe it. It's going to happen. There's going to be an emergence of people in this church going to rise up. And in the grace of God, they're going to bear the burden with valor and blessing to see this community of the town of Mansfield and the area of Ashfield touched with the wonderful love of God. It will always, friends, sit under authority. Micah 7.11 says, heed the rod. The rod in the word speaks of authority. Speaks of authority. And if you want to be blessed of God in this area, you need to understand that it always sits under authority. It sits under the authority of the leaders of the local church that sits under the authority of the lordship of Jesus Christ. Please hear me when I say this next thing. I do not want to sound derogatory because I know... In Acts 10, 38, it says Jesus went about doing good. But in terms of social action, in terms of reaching out into the town, please hear me when I use this word. I don't particularly like it, but I'm trying to communicate. It's not about do-gooders. It's not about, it's about people that have heard God's heart, that sit under the authority delegated from heaven and impact their community, which is something just beyond being a do-gooder. And if you'll sit there, you'll know the amazing blessing of the Lord. If you try and run from it, it'll go from you. See, I, I, I observe, friends, more and more that I think it's a good place when local churches understand the power of the delegated authority that God has established in the church. But I recognize that there's believers out there that don't want that. They want to do their thing. They want to please themselves. And they move away. Why do some people come and then some people go? Because of authority. It's because of authority. 
It's because God has established something in the house that they want to rail against. And we need, friends, to continue to protect what God has laid amongst us. So back to the text in closing. I'm going to give you four bullet points. For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have power to demolish. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Let me give you four things. I'm just going to bullet point them. And then I'm going to close and I'm back to Christian to conclude the service. Number one, the certainty of the enemy. I wish I could say as a Christian minister tonight, friends, that the devil's not real. And uh, that we can all sort of relax and have a nice picnic in the park. And it's all going to be nice every day of our lives. But he is. He's real. He's spiritual. He seeks to contest for the heavenlies. And the Bible doesn't speak a lot about it. But he gives us little glimpses in the eons of time. Of how there was a holy clash in the heavenlies. Between God and Lucifer, Beelzebub. Whatever we want to call him. The leader of worship in the heavens. He says, I want to be like God. God says, there's no way. I don't share my glory with anybody. And he's thought that him and the third of the angels clashed. And the kingdom of darkness was established. Little wonder, friends, that we see rebellion around us today. It's the very foundation of the kingdom of darkness. And he has been at work ever since to frustrate the purposes of God. John wrote in the gospel of John chapter 10 that the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And some of you know from personal experience what it means to be right there. Where you felt robbed. Where you felt destroyed. Where you felt killed instantly. The hope is that Jesus says, I'm come that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness. But make no mistake, if he can take you out, if he can kill you, if he can destroy you, if he can rob you, if he can deny you, he'll do it. The certainty of the enemy. Not only the certainty of the enemy, but the strategy that is involved. It's an organized kingdom. I think Christian alluded to this two weeks ago, but in Daniel chapter 10, Daniel prays to the Lord. And he gets a, he gets a, a vision. And the, the vision, the messenger in the vision says, I heard you day one. But it took 21 days for breakthrough. Because the king of Persia, was sought to, or the prince of Persia, was sought to resist. Most Bible commentators believe it's speaking about spiritual oppression in the heavenlies that seeks to frustrate prayers. You say, well, that sounds a bit freaky. Friends, we're not talking carnally. We're talking spiritually. We're not talking about what we can see. We're talking about what we can't see, which is more real than what we can see. It's an organized kingdom that seeks to frustrate the prayers of the believers. And it's an opposing kingdom. As we've read in our verses tonight, and also in 2 Corinthians 2.11, where Paul says we're not ignorant or unaware of his schemes. There's a strategy employed. It's organized. And it seeks to withhold and withstand the people of God. That's why in this season, friends, there's going to be some real revelation of what it means to break through, to press through, to see that we've gone beyond just where we were and to realize that God has done something. The third thing is the tenacity of prayer and fasting. As I said last week, they sit together. Don't just look upon this as an exercise in self-denial or turn it into a competition. Well, I didn't have anything to eat for 16 days. What about you? What did you do with those 16 days? 
Because if all it was was screwing yourself up on a ball and doing it with a wrong motive, then you're going to miss the point. Prayer and fasting. And in Luke's gospel, we read about elements of the tenacity of prayer and fasting. Let me just again bullet point them. In chapter 5, there was a, sorry, chapter 11, there was a persisting. Because a guy got some visitors coming to meet him late at night, my paraphrase, and he had no breath. And he said, oh, go and see my mate next door. And he went around to his mate next door and says, I've just got some friends coming out, I've got any bread. And his mate says, clear off. I'm watching Frosch and Groves, clear off. And he kept on asking. And he kept on asking. And it says in the Bible that because of his shameless audacity, his neighbor gave him the bread that he needed. And friends, God's not somebody with his arm crossing heaven saying, I don't like Arena Church, and I'm not going to give him anything. But the reality is there's something raging at times that needs us to persist through, to have an audacity to get through to where God is so that God can come and be where we are. There was a persisting, but there was also a battling in chapter 11, verses 21 and 22 of Luke's gospel. He says these words. He says, when the strong man fully armed guards his house, his possessions are safe, but when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the plunder. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And there is something at times to be dispossessed in the heavenly realm, where the enemy, friends, is seeking to keep hold of things that aren't rightfully his. We disarm him. We take the property. We move in. We obliterate all that he's done. We're for the Lord. And the final thing is persisting. In Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8, where the, the, Jesus says we ought to pray and never give up. And he gives the example of the lady going to the unjust judge. And again, she was dismissive of him. Of her, rather. He was dismissive of her. But she kept going forward. And God came through with the meeting of her needs. And I sense, friends, that we need to carry all of that spirit in this 21-day season to see some of the breakthroughs that we're passionate about. Fourthly, the victory that is possible. You see, I said the enemy is real, but the enemy is defeated. And I'm not saying that in a triumphalistic way, where people talk about victory and then don't live in the power of it. But I am speaking about it in the confidence of God's word. Colossians 2.15 says that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, and made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them through the cross. In Hebrews 2.14, he says, By his death, he broke the power of him that holds death. That is the devil. In 1 John 3.8, he says, The reason the Son of Man appeared in the earth was to destroy the works of the evil one. Our Savior is alive. Our Savior has triumphed. Our Savior lives in the victory. And we need to increasingly, with rawness, with passion, with audacity, in Arena Mansfield, press in to what God has purchased for us in the power of the cross. Intensity and normality. The pressing, the leaning into, the more of God. Denying ourselves, at times natural things, food, for the greater cause of the kingdom of God. It's been a call. We've sought to give some components and tonight I issue a challenge as to the reason why. As I close, what can we expect? Well, we can expect some resistance. And I'm not suggesting he's going to walk through here now with a fork in his hand and breathing fire 
It might be something more like a little accusing voice to your heart about three days in saying, this is a complete waste of time. It won't make an iota of difference. Oh, okay, I'll pack in that. It may be, friends, that the first time you seek to engage with prayer, you're that pumped up, and it seems as though the ceiling's made of brass. You need to press through. You'll meet some resistance. I suggest, friends, that we ought to expect some emotion. Someone described Nehemiah recently at crying at the ruins. You see, he wept when he heard about the state of the nation. And then he went back, he did a reconnoiter in Nehemiah chapter 2. He pulled people together and he brought a transformational change that was incredible. And I suggest again, friends, even though the scriptures don't record it, that again in the dead of night, he wept at the ruins. I want to call men to feel the emotion of God's heart in this season. I say particularly men because we tend to lock it in more rather than letting it out. We go quiet. What's up with you? I'm all right. I'm just working a few things through. Does that resonate, ladies? I'm just working a few things. And we go in. And I encourage you to let it out. And I believe that emotions... I'm not talking about emotion for emotion's sake. But I'm also fed up of the Christian church denying emotion. Let it out. Cry over the ruins that are relevant to your context. I believe, friends, that we can expect some humbling because we reminded ourselves last week from Psalm, I, Psalm 35 that the psalmist says that I humble myself through fasting. I tried to explain a little bit about what humility was last week and it's not denying the richness of what you are in the Lord. But it's a giving away of ourselves for the cause of others. It's God shaping us and honing us. I get very worried when people tell me they're spending great rafts of time in prayer and they never become more like Jesus. It's impossible. It's impossible. If you're spending a lot of time with the law, friends, he's going to have some things to say to you about changing into his likeness. We can expect some direction. Times of sitting. So there might be times of running. Times of hearing. So there might be times of action. And expect the nudges to come. Because if you think the direction is going to be about, yeah, that person in the church needs to get the book moving. It might just be that God's going to give you a nudge about you doing something that you've never done before. That the initial reaction is a gulp and thinking I can't do it. But God speaks. I wish that God didn't speak to me with his insistent nudges. But he keeps doing it. He keeps doing it. And I know when God's done it. I know there's only one winner. I know that I've got to submit. Sometimes I take a bit of time to get there. But when God speaks. And God's going to speak to people. We can expect friends breakthroughs. Expect breakthroughs. Expect breakthroughs in healing. We don't believe in spiritual healing. We believe in divine healing. We believe that Jesus Christ is the healer. Let's believe for breakthroughs in these days. I was very moved a few weeks ago when, when Christian got up at one prayer night. He says, I want to take on cancer. Do you remember, Christian? And we've got people in the church that suffer with cancer. There's other illnesses. We're not saying that one sits out alone. But we're challenged. We want people to be healed. We don't want to be saying in the church, friends, people are healed when they're not. Also. But we want people to be genuinely, authentically healed. We want records coming back from the hospital saying, well, I don't get it, but this is what it was, and this is what it is. In the power of God. 
We want breakthroughs in finance. So that you have perhaps got used to living in a particular way that didn't sit at the heart of God. There can be changes in your life. If you've got into some sense of debt, not because maybe even your own fault, but circumstances that have overtaken you, let's believe for breakthroughs. Let's believe for new strategies to live in different ways. And breakthroughs of circumstances. Those of you that look at some of your family situation and your immediate cries, it's impossible. Nothing's ever going to change there to believe that it will change. Circumstances in your work environment, it's impossible that that person at work is going to start being nice. Because they're ugly 24-7. Believing they're going to change in Jesus' name. And so we could go on. And finally, we can expect some victories. Because this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. 1 John 5 and verse 4. We've done our best, friends. Three weeks on fasting. It could sound the death knell of some churches. People say, well, if they're going to preach on that, I'm never coming again. But we've done our best to inspire our hearts to believe that this is a spiritual principle and value to press into in this season. We've got some 21 days of breakthrough brochures. Please take one from the results table. Christian will lead you in a moment in a sign-up. Not to catch you out, but to bring us to a place of agreement. Symphonia. A harmony of sound that captures the attention of heaven. And that Arena Mansfield, Arena Church, would rise to a place of the authority of its call. Church militants. So seeing the victory in Christ, church triumphant, so that we might see amazing things in this season as we press into fasting for change. Amen. Amen.